Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clips. I like the Adam Sandler picture up now, too. It's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out Quick to friend silver. of the pod, BDC slash Razy Brian, with the with the fantastic Christmas present, a picture of Adam Sandler at the premiere of Evan Almighty in one of his great fits, the Quicksilver and green b-ball shorts holding his keys in his hands. <laughs> with Subway Jared in the background. That's true. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> So rare. You have to dig deeper with these kind of things. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 86. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm the Reverend Malcolm Baum. <laughs> I'm JT White. I'm still thinking about how Cave called me rude or like how I, or at least polite in comparison, yeah, yeah. I guess. But like, I feel like I'm so nice on this show. Now, dude, you got that, that badass persona. Like people mm. hear you taking shots and they're like, that Eddie's a fucking... He's Eddie's a, loading up the gun again. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm he, always giving shit like four bullets. That's a nice thing. Not, well, you're nice to movies. Maybe, maybe it's That's a cruel to the people. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, we got to move past that. I'm sure some of our listeners were a fan of that episode and some were not. Today's double feature is uh, The Book of Life by Hal Hartley and Stars in My Crown, uh, the 1950 film by Jacques Turner. Uh, Malcolm, yeah, you brought these holy films to us this week. What was uh, what was your thinking? Well, I think I, I explained, you know, the philosophy of it on the last episode. But I've been doing a lot of sex movies, and I'm a fan of those. But you know, whatever happened to some of those old fashioned values? You know, yeah, and. <laughs> So, I, I mean, not even that, but it's just like, let's get a little more reflective. Let's get a little bit more spiritual. You know mm. what I mean? Let's take this podcast to places that we might be afraid to go to. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, both of these movies with, uh, you know, the presence of God being a, a powerful force in one way or another, uh, you know, maybe we could learn to trust in God ourselves and reform wow. our ways. Wow. Very powerful. Very powerful. JT. I'm just, you know what? Let's do a let's do a God check. JT, do you believe in the big man upstairs? I mean, after these two episodes, I'm contemplating some things. I was thinking about Islam. That seems like a good re uh, religion to get invested in. Mm. Um, I'm really open to a bunch of things. You know, I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. <laughs> um, I just, we feel God in everything. I feel God in the two of you, mm. our friendship. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's my God check. Eddie, what about you? Do you believe in God? Mm, I'm going to say that mm, culture is the rule and God is the exception. <laughs> uh, my uncle's a priest, so I, I believe in God for that family business. Let's keep making that money. <laughs> Always got to hustle. <laughs> Always got to hustle. So The Book of Life, uh, this was actually the first film I saw by Hal Hartley, and some people had described him being similar to some like Godard stuff, and right away I was like, oh yeah, this looks like 80s and 90s Godard a little bit, but unfortunately it didn't quite uh, sweep me up like that, but I, I could definitely see myself loving other films of his, uh, because I think we were all slightly muted on this one, am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, no, it didn't, I, there's, it's one of those movies where I like a lot of aspects uh, of it 
but as a whole it just it seems to lack mm. uh you know certain things and you know this is i, I don't even have that much of experience with hartley uh i you know I'd, I'd seen trust before and enjoyed that and uh, this is kind of a shot in the dark you know i was just trying to find another jesus movie to pair with stars and my crown and yeah. I, i'm glad i watched it because it is like it is an early digital movie so we get we get some of that and i know we we love our digital filmmaking here and uh, I don't know, like I like the '90s soundtrack, kind of mm. like the Yola Tango. PJ Harvey is like the second build in it. So a lot, a lot of aspects I like. I think maybe its screenplay kind of bogs it down quite a bit. But uh, you know, it's 68 minutes. I- I'm glad I spent time with it. Not even. It's like 62, I think. Oh well, shit. Hey man, I'm <laughs> always, I'm always paying attention. <laughs> JT, you had at least seen Trust, right? Yeah, Trust is literally the only other uh, uh, Hartley I've seen. It's been a, a while. I he's someone that I really wanted to get into when I was younger, but like, um, like I was saying to you early, earlier, Eddie, I didn't have the access to Hartley films that I do now. I can see similarities in like the very literary way in which people speak. Like the dialogue is similar in Trust, where like there's at least one character who has that like cadence to them. But other than that, it's like. There's stuff that I feel like I can admire here, but the tone just feels off with it sort of having like a sense of like ironic distance or I feel like it's a little sarcastic at points that just Mm. doesn't like, I don't know it. There's a lot I want to enjoy here, but it just doesn't it just doesn't hit the mark. I think you're right about the the distance, ironic distance and even like stuff like, uh, you know, you think about this movie, it's kind of it's bare bones like it's you see a lot of exposed light sources. You even see exposed audio sources, you know, where the, the devil character, we see him talking to the mic and it's, you know, that's something I think I would appreciate, but it just kind of feels like experimentation without flourish. There is like something interesting about it, but not, not enough is being done with it to where it's fully realized. Yeah. Pretty good movie. Next movie. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I agree, especially like, I don't know, just the way the camera moves around and the more hurried moving shots kind of feel like, uh, you know, obviously not as good, but like what Doyle was shooting for Wong Kar Wai. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of aspects of it that I really like. Yeah. And it just doesn't quite congeal. But what is this movie? It's about Jesus Christ, my homeboy. Uh, Jesus Christ turns out to be the guy from Tenet who tells the protagonist about Tenet and its gesture. Uh, that's how I know him, at least. Uh, he and PJ Harvey, or Mary Magdalene, uh, kick it in New York while contemplating opening the gates of the apocalypse through this like very primal MacBook. It looks like it's not even a MacBook until they show the screen, uh, but maybe that's what the first... Or not even MacBook. I think those were called like Apple Book or some shit like that. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know there was like the the iBook was one before the MacBook too. Uh, but yeah, on an old ass computer. And uh, the end of history, as so many people fucking talk about endlessly with films of this era, literally translates to the end of the world as if these people didn't fucking know 9-11 was coming. Like, Jesus, mm-hmm. come on, figure it out. It's really like one of the most end of history movies ever, really, of that canon. Uh, You know, meanwhile, Satan is just like hanging out in the bar trying to, you know, get some people over to his side. And it's about how like, uh, you know, Satan kind of won. He was kind of nice with it. Like he made Earth like hell on Earth. And that was pretty sick. (laughs) Like that was, you know, a more cynical read on that end of history thing, which I get, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but 
you know, I, I don't have any objections to it on a fucking biblical level. <laughs> you, you think I'm reading the Bible? <laughs> oh, maybe. Hey, maybe you should. But uh, no, yeah, there's like the setup is like good or like I, I like it. It's like God. It's interesting enough. It's interesting enough. It's like the God. It's God is treated like a corporation and Jesus is his, you know, unwilling son. He doesn't want to take over the business. And that's where a lot of his. <laughs> his uh, strife comes from and it it feels very like gen x and i i i, I kind of hesitate to go generational thinking because I, I i feel like it could be reductive a lot of the time but i feel like there is something that is very of its time about this movie with like the soundtrack and like kind of like the the blase attitude towards the end of the movie and you know instead of saving the world or you know why not you know jesus just turns up and you know he drinks at a bar and stares out into the <laughs> into the ocean and that's yeah. that that's th that's more f fulfilling than changing the world yeah <laughs> <laughs> from the very uh beginning there there's like a lot of very like all too clever kind of lines of dialogue yeah. that set you up for what kind of affair this was going to be like uh you know it opens with uh james urbaniak uh, an actor who's in a lot of his films asking for forgiveness and jesus christ you know forgives him and i could never get used to that part of the job yeah it's like meaningful but it's like the cheekiness quality of it where it's like that type of referency sort of jokey like playing with the premise doesn't really hit for me in like a movie that's like trying to do like I, I don't know. It doesn't... I mean, I don't want this to just be, like, comparing this to Godard and saying why he would have done it better. But, like, <laughs> Godard can do that, like, uh, switch from, like, something really lowbrow and mm. kind of, like, funny with it to get you... And then, like, make you think within a yeah. cut. That will be really powerful and impactful. And this, I think, is just, like, stuck somewhere in the middle of that where it's, like, trying to, like... Um, be like cutesy and kind of corny with it mm. but then when it, it that just I don't know it just doesn't make me like I can't tap into taking it seriously when it's trying to go onto like a, something deeper yeah no I think that's where this movie kind of ultimately fails and it would I think it would improve uh, greatly if it had more like emotional it's, it was more willing to like kind of go for strong, severe emotions or something like that. That would give kind of like this this choppy kind of like gauzy uh, visual style more more meaning, or just it would make uh, just improve the images somewhat. As to relate it again to Godard, something I feel like Godard will do that this doesn't is that it's like he will have like specific like historical references and will reference a lot of like real events. And I feel like something that diminishes the power of this is like there's a point where like Jesus unlocks that like fifth gate and he's dealing with like people doing uh, like evil in his name. And it's just part of the movie just feels like detached from reality in mm. like a way that like something dealing with like the reckoning of like the end of the world like shouldn't like it's too detached from the real world for me in that sense mm. i mean there are some like clever like there, there's some like godardisms not to go back to him too much but you know uh the two leads checking into this hotel as D mr and yeah. mrs dw griffith is very godardian i guess but also you kind of have to ask to what end like <laughs> godard despite the kind of aesthetic fetish objects that you could kind of make out of all of his films stylistically uh especially post 68 he's working toward like a critique of ideology yeah. and culture at all times uh and this one 
maybe it's just a different approach to that kind of critique that I, maybe he's Hartley is just too fucking smart for me and I don't understand the critique that much, but it feels a little like not, I don't know. I, I, I like it as an aesthetic object and the more I think about it, kind of the more I dislike it. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe the critique there is, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to even pretend to, (laughs) but I think maybe it's, it's kind of what I said about like, uh, kind of like the son taking over the business aspect and kind mm. of like uh that that being his turmoil or whatever maybe he's toying with something that yeah i mean total end of history late capitalism god as a corporation makes yeah. sense it all checks out yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't cut all that deep but it checks out yeah exactly <laughs> and I, I you know not you know every piece of work is important but like it seems like uh, this was this. I, I know this was for like a film series mm. for you know France or something like a like a bunch of collection of films around this length that like depict you know the end of the world, Y two K and whatnot. So maybe you know I, maybe he'd give you know give him a little something for a project here. Mm. You know I don't know maybe yeah. That's not my place to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is also like I think with a greater exposure. Uh, to his work if I return with more Hartley's under my belt I think I might like this a little Mm, bit more and like I feel like this is a rough like this and uh, trust like placed together it's just like hard for me to get a clear-cut understanding of his like sensibility and like how how he's feeling with it yeah and I like the kind of almost like music video kind of approach to the scenes where it's just like PJ Harvey walking through the streets and the soundtracks blaring and it's like, yeah, maybe I would be like really into this if I liked the movie around it. But I do in a vacuum like those kind of music video-ish feelings where it's like you can get away with just aesthetic fetishization yeah. uh, when you are fully going MV mode, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, I feel like the like uh, the comparison for this movie it re- reminds me a lot of like late 90s like down tempo trip hop or something Mm. like that and that's not even uh you know a genre that's used in the movie but just kind of like yeah like kind of like this lot of like slow motion kind of you know blurriness that it's going for and kind of uh kind of the dour mood that most of the characters have throughout the movie i don't know it reminds me of like a portishead song or something i don't know this guy's listening to idm (laughs) this motherfucker listening to intelligent dance music (laughs) I mean, you know me. I'm not listening to any of that 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 dummy that dummy dance music. <laughs> dummy dances. None of that DDM. <laughs> there's a couple of really incredible shots in here. There's one where there's a shot where Martin Donovan is like looking at you know the titular book where you know considering unlocking the seal, I guess, on his laptop, and it's almost like a two shot of him and the Empire State Building in the background, uh, and it has a really kind of orangish background to it. And it's really just one of the most remarkable shots in this film. And Hartley is well aware of it. He stays on this shot for quite some time. And I, I'm fine with that. You know, it's definitely one of the more beautiful moments of the film. No, yeah, kind of like his active camera, you know, throughout the film. I feel like, yeah, like the, he does have a good compositional awareness. I feel like maybe the slanted angles get maybe a bit tired after a while. But like, I, I like him on the in motion more. And I feel like mm. he'll end on some... Like, where he decides to end the motion will result in, like, an interesting frame. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of comes to a head as, you know, God, or not God, but, uh, you know, Jesus and the devil and all the all the major players are just kind of negotiating in this dumpy New York City hotel room. 
uh, or a nice New York City hotel room, and the camera makes it look dumpy. I can't really tell. It's a little vague. I work for the one who makes the rules. Yeah, well, I used to work for him, too. Until I quit. Started making my own rules. You didn't quit. You were fired. But, you know, life just ends up continuing with the possibility of disaster, which is funny because it's kind of like the Tenet ending, (laughs) (laughs) you know, about the bombs that don't go off and whatnot. (laughs) But, yeah, there's this shot of Martin Donovan on the ferry pulling away. uh, And it's kind of like the last shot of, uh, is it News from Home, the Chantal Ackerman that ends with that shot? I believe so. Uh, just really incredible, just like slowly pulling away from that skyline. Uh, that actually, I think, is the best shot in the movie, and made me convinced me slightly for just a few minutes that I liked the movie more than I did. And then I kind of sat through the credits and was like, two and a half bullets from me." Yeah, my you know my thoughts. I yeah, like I I was kind of on that. You know, this is this is how you know we're peak. The peak in film criticism when we're watching movies, we're thinking two and a half, three, two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we think. It's true. I almost <laughs> gave it three when I logged it on Letterboxd, but I'm sticking with my two and a half. Um, but uh, I feel like that I do like the last five minutes a lot and kind of like, I don't know, kind of kind of the Ocean's 12 ending. <laughs> you get <laughs> just all the characters kind of just turning up in a bar and I don't know, the Ocean's 12 slash Magic Mike double XL ending where, uh, you know, Donovan kind of looks at the fireworks, or I guess the lack of fireworks here. And uh, what do you call it? I feel like his outfit, the blue suit, that's not, that's like a fit someone would rock in Tenet, too. Yeah, so maybe he's fresh, fresh out of Tenet. But I'm going to give it three bullets. Shit. What if it was inverted Martin Donovan from 2020 <laughs> coming back and acting in the version of the film that I just watched? The real Fuck. real reason why I brought it. All right, five yeah, this... bullets. It's Tenet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> JT, I'm uh, just bumping Tenet up to five for that. That's all. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a pretty good Tenet prequel. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. There are a lot of really beautiful like digital textures. I like. I I really want to like this movie, and that like at least is something. I do like what you were saying, Malcolm, about the ending. Like I think it like I don't know. It's working. I feel like the dialogue like works to that sort of poetic like optimism about like oh things are fucked up but like we're keeping doing this because things are good and that like is somewhat effective but I feel like everything that came before it in sort of like that sarcastic cheeky tone really undercuts it for me and doesn't make it like as impactful as it mm, could be mm-hmm. this is like I don't know it's I'm curious for more Hartley but it might be a little bit yeah you said three three yeah we'll be right back on extended clip i was the victim of my own history a pawn in my father's troubled empire an insult to humanity's own godlike self-esteem i ran for my life and waited for the walls to come tumbling down there's a cold war cold as ice we even know its true nature is to lose. This is knowledge divided. All I have for you is a gesture in combination with a word, tenant. And we're back on extended clip. Uh, it's Malcolm in the Middle, everyone's favorite segment. Malcolm, did you watch anything uh, since last time we recorded? Yeah, yeah. I watched Falling Down by Joel Schumacher. And, you know, I didn't like it much, but to contextualize it, 
Um, I'm kind of going through Joel Schumacher's filmography. He's recently deceased. You know, maybe this is how I pay my respects. And I was, you know, I'm out here digging for good films. And I, you know, towards the back end of his career, I've enjoyed the number 23. You know, believe it or not, I think that's a good movie. I I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yes. Great. Amazing cinematography in that movie. Matthew Liebetik, like one of the best looking movies of that year probably and then um trespass with nicholas cage and nicole kidman uh, i think that yeah that was his last feature and that was just a good thriller with just solid performances with you know kidman and cage and then i checked out this other one called cousins where ted danson and isabella rosalini become cousins through marriage and start having sex with each other and it's not that's not as entertaining as it might sound it was it pretty, sounds like the best movie of all time <laughs> yeah it's pretty boring and i was it's ted danson stick to television that's all i got to say um and being a good husband yeah <laughs> that's that's what we're that's what we're talking about this episode um good monogamy but uh yeah, so Falling Down is much more popular than the rest of the movies I've listed. It's uh, Michael Douglas, you know, stuck in his uh, stuck in L.A. traffic one day, decides mm. to, you know, he's fed up. And so he just leaves and just assaults a Korean store owner. And then he goes to uh, McDonald's or whatever, or a ripoff thing like that, and gets mad about, you know, breakfast not being served. And it is, it's just... <laughs> It's really fucking dumb movie. And like, I, I hate, cause I don't know. I think we've talked about before, like calling a movie dumb. That's not a great criticism of it, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's, it's really trying to address these social issues. It is. It's like backhandedly is, you know, through this, like, you know, very reactionary character. And it's just, it's kind of like, there's just no way you could take it seriously. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that's going on. And, uh, not the best Mike Doug, you know, performance. You know, I, I'd rather prefer him getting sexually intimidated by a woman, you know, in, in mm-hmm. like a nice luxury apartment. I, I don't want to see him uh, uh, beating up store owners, small business owners. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we know it's no. built on small business yeah. owners. <laughs> we know LA is, you know, very punitive with the small business <laughs> owner. So I, that, that's irked me the wrong way. But yeah. Um, so I guess just the moral of the story is, you know, maybe Schumacher, um, he has some good ones, he has some bad ones, and Schuma- I'm going to continue to check him out. Schumacher, I one, I fully endorse and support your trying to, to vindicate him and his work. For me, he's like the king of the three-bullet film. Yeah. Like, he, he has a lot of ones that are just like, that's a good movie. Like, I not yeah. like, I don't think I've seen, I mean, 8 millimeters is definitely what has stuck with me the most. But like, other than that, it's like usually levels out at around three and that's good. That's respectable. Mm. Honestly, if, if the The world is built on three star movies, absolutely. And I, I prefer Schumacher three star to, I don't know, current three star movies, which is bad, but you have to pretend is at least pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You you get it where it's like these movies, you know, like number 23, I, 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 I'll admit it. I put on that movie, you know, ready to laugh at it. And I did. I didn't laugh at it. It is a very... No, it is, it's stupid it's, and crazy, but that's so fun. It's so fun. And it, I feel like it like it would be so much better if anyone else but Jim Carrey was playing the lead too, <laughs> which is very funny because it seemed like he was part of the reason it got made. People are interested. Yeah, of course. Jim Carrey going dark. And it is just like he he brings that movie down a peg. Like yeah. that that could have been Schumacher's and Liebetik's you know, masterpiece collaboration if they yeah. have, uh, I don't know, Ben Affleck in there or something like that. So, mm, ben, Okay. <laughs> now, just now a, you're talking. Just okay. a random poll. Yeah. 
No, but, that's a good that's a good poll. Uh, JT, what about you? Um, this week I watched a lot of things, but last night I want to talk about something I watched. Then I was the Fifth Element by Luc Besson, and I wasn't that crazy about it. Like. I'm generally like a sucker for like sci-fi stuff. Anything with like a cool like production design like that alone, like I don't know, has me somewhat interested in it. And I think there's like some something to enjoy there. But I I don't know. I was talking to Malcolm, and it's I really don't like Leon the Professional. That one's like bullshit. It's a bad movie. Mm. Um, there's some it, like it's, it's the type of movie that people like. I don't know. Alan Dershowitz, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump might like. Yeah. You see where I'm going with this. But it's like, that's the only, I mean, I've seen that. And then Lucy, which is just some d- dumb, bad movie that he did. But the connecting thread between Leon the Professional and this was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep in mind that Leon the Professional has some weird pedophile shit in it. And that like Luke Besson, like, uh, I-, I think he was, uh, they alleged he had committed rape in 2018 so it's like I'm gonna. There's there's def there's not gonna be any of that shit in here. There's no, not gonna be anything that makes me bat an eye. But of course I was wrong. And uh, Mila Jovovich's character, um, she's like this alien. Four years old. Uh, no, <laughs> mentally four years old, which is what really makes it creepy. It's like Bruce Willis. Damn, I was just guessing. That's <laughs> fucked up. Bruce Willis is like um, some space cabbie who uh, they happen to meet and then he's in love with her instantly and like they go on uh, this journey and she has like a higher purpose that she serves or blah 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 it's, there's some annoying bullshit down the way but um, and this isn't really a, a criticism in the film it just like distracted me a whole lot but it's like and a weird through line to have because in like Leon the Professional she's very young and that makes me uncomfortable and she's like uh like intellectually mature but in this it's like a grown woman who is like um she's like a a super smart intelligent being but because she speaks this weird alien language they interact in like a very like emotive like sort of making sense of like small concepts level and it's just weird for someone to fall completely in love and be attracted to someone that they can only like it's a mail order bride shit. That's like weird. Yeah. It's like it made it made me very uncomfortable. I think I think uh, I gotta put a stop to this kink shaming on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know, JT. Well, you know what? It's Luke Besson. He found a way to supplement his desires, right? Because he has a movie where he's straight up being a pedophile, right? With Leon the Professional, and he's like, "Well, why don't I just get a woman who thinks like a child? <laughs> and that way, everyone's happy. I'm not, you know, doing anything weird, and it's I'm perfectly normal now." And so I guess that's what the fifth element's about. I haven't seen it. But. Yeah. I mean, that's really my big takeaway. It's like, it's a not like, it's a, it's a gentleman's two and a half. There's yeah. like something it's, it was fun to look at there. There's enough there, but mm, just, just leave pass. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> what about you, Eddie? Have you watched anything good this week? Um, yeah, I finished up Phantomos, the serial uh, five short-ish, you know, hour-long-ish films uh, by Louis Fouillard, Fouillard, Fouillade. Who the fuck knows with these fucking old-timey French guys? Uh, this ran from like 1913 to 15, I believe. 
And it's a film about playing pretend and kind of elevating that idea from the stale kind of proscenium approach of theater to the artistry that comes with camera movement and montage. Uh, the style is still like pretty theatrical, but it just makes those close-ups, camera movements, and really just like every cut feel like an exclamation point. It's just like really impactful uh, on a formal level as a uh, the filmmaking kind of gets better step by step, uh, even if the script kind of varies episode to episode. But it's about an arch villain, Fantomas. Uh, he, you know, goes in different disguises, lots of goofy antics. Uh, one of them, he like cuts the hand off the skin from the hand off of this guy he killed and puts it on as a glove in order to murder someone else and not leave his own fingerprint so that that guy's fingerprints would be used uh pretty demented shit to be honest also i always thought like i think i put this on twitter already to the phantomos fans out there trying to field some answers but wouldn't that smell really bad (laughs) <laughs> but I guess also old timey French people. It's like 1913. Yeah. They still smell really say, bad. Yeah, yeah. They probably that's probably smells good to them because it <laughs> smells bad. But I guess uh, technically, any, anywhere you look it up, it says the protagonists are uh, the people chasing him, which is such bullshit. It's hilarious. It's a movie. It's about Phantomas, you know, who's the arch villain. But, it, you know, it's about this fucking inspector Juve who also does some undercover stuff with disguises that are not nearly as clever. Uh, and you kind of just laugh at him the whole time. I, I, you kind of feel his pain, but he is also kind of there to be laughed at, in my opinion, at least. Uh, and his buddy Fandor, who works for the uh, like local newspaper. So this is a movie about... About the state and the media hunting down an artist because this is one of those movies with the very dumb idea but it works here uh that crime is an art into itself you know uh and so phantomas his use of costuming uh his way of like disguising behind curtains for hours on end without anyone noticing and it's also very funny to watch a scene unfold and then just after everyone leaves you see him poke out of the curtain it just it kills me every time (laughs) Uh, but it's also very suspenseful and it just plays into that idea of just like I don't know, it's easy to read it this way, at least, of a cop and a newspaper guy chasing down this fucking master artist, you know, Uh, and it's it's really incredible. And like it ends with him being arrested, but he's able to free himself through one of the disguises that he already had going and the inefficiency of like extradition laws uh, from one country to another in Europe because he ends up being kind of a gallivanting criminal across uh, country borders toward the end. And it's just like it's so strangely convoluted, but also extremely powerful at the end where he just gives himself over to the inspector and the reporter knowing that the weird like ineffective bureaucracy that he already set in place in disguise will free him uh (laughs) just one of the most incredible endings to anything i've ever seen uh so yeah check out phantomas it's i think i'm pretty sure it's on youtube that's hard it's like like five and a half hours total maybe a little six hours total that's the that's the best way a movie can end a character is like yeah i'm going to jail but it doesn't fucking matter (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'll be at, I'll be back. Exactly. Dude. He <laughs> transcended all of that shit. Uh, the lead performance by Rene Navarre, I guess. Uh, he like, I don't know. 
it's just so funny, just him playing with disguises the whole time. At one point, he plays an American uh, detective uh, named Tom Bob and fools the entire French judicial system as Tom Bob. It's it's really fucking funny and amazing and really surprisingly brutal and grotesque at times as well. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of a little movie from the 1980s uh, called Fletch by Chevy Chase. Maybe, okay. that's, maybe that's where he's taking his cues from, his fanciness. Maybe Chevy's about that classic cinema. <laughs> Wow, I you know what I yeah. can see the linkage. There's like five <laughs> degrees there. Like maybe John Landis, who's an old movie head, you know, knows a little about Phantom Moss, Put him on do it or something like that. It could happen. It could happen. Not rooting for it though. I <laughs> am. I thought, I, I thought you didn't like Fletch. No, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just oh, pulling out the connections. <laughs> yeah. I just I just wish things were more thought out, even if they are bad. I guess I maybe know. I should watch Fletch, even if it does suck. I'll watch Fletch Lives if you watch Fletch. <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> we'll be right back on Extended Club. Will there be any stars, any stars in my crumb? When at evening the sun goeth down? Will I wake with the best in those mansions of rest? Will there be any stars in my crown? I am thinking today of the Out of my eye line. I'm, I'm kind of mad we didn't get to talk to Kaveh more about Kush, though. True, huh? Like, he is, like, one of the only tried and true stoner filmmakers. But I guess he I mean, was smoking at that point. He just didn't seem as receptive to talking about weed. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of... We kind of gave him a, a weed question, and it... Yeah, it seemed like he was... Kaveh can lit. always come back. I think it was also the first thing I asked him was, what are you smoking? <laughs> <laughs> it sounded kind of accusatory, almost. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that... Oh, God. I have his number still. I should text him. I'm yeah, sorry. Bro. Hash it out. <laughs> Hash it out. Be, get on season three. Yeah, exactly. Just oh become one of those God, guys yes. who blows up his phone. <laughs> no thanks. I don't want to be one of his enablers. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on the extended clip. This week's Patreon. We're still doing bank check. It's season two, baby. We're talking about Michael Cimino. Uh Up there right now is episode two where we talked about uh, Year of the Dragon and Heaven's Gate. The next episode is going to be the thrilling conclusion, uh, chapter three of season two of Bank Check, where we talk about Michael Cimino's three final films, The Sicilian, Desperate Hours, and The Sun Chaser, as well as his contribution to Chanson Son Cinema. So that's on the Patreon, $2 a month. Awesome stuff on the Patreon, always fun. Yeah, those Heaven's Gate and Year of the Dragon were insane too. I mean, two baffling movies for two very different reasons. Yeah, we got you know we got Josh on the first episode. Sure. to him, banger season. Yeah, ba- great season. I'm I'm you know I'm thrilled to see it conclude, but also a little sad. Mm. It's a uh, it's crazy going through 
you know, a man's filmography like this with reckless abandon. Well, but, they're in the after hours yeah. afterlife with uh, Peter Farrelly and Bobby Farrelly. You know, like True. once filmmakers graduate from a season of bank check. They're never uh, allowed. I mean, well, in the case of Chimino, he's already dead. But the Farrelly's <laughs> never allowed to make another movie again. I mean, well, for us, they're dead to us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if Pete Farrelly keeps down this prestige path, we might we might have we might yeah, have perfectly, you know. I don't know. Will we do like addendum episodes? Like if the Farrelly's do more shit? I for, would love to. Yeah, for I mean, it's going to take some years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can even let it build up, kind of. <laughs> I'm not particularly excited, but it might be our civic duty to talk yeah. about like season three of Louder Milk when it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many people were into the Louder Milk discussion uh, segment of. I'm sure everyone knows what we're talking about when we say Louder Milk. <laughs> yeah, we might as well be saying all the uh, sasso heads. <laughs> Might as well be saying, what's the other fucking thing? The the show that they never, Blit happens. Yeah, we might as well be talking. We might as well be talking about Ricky Blit right now. <laughs> if you're still in the dark, go check out season one of Bank Check on the Farrelly Brothers. Um, but the B feature for this week is Stars in My Crown, the 1950 film by Jacques Turner. Was it anything of a conscious decision to like split the century in half, 1950 and 2000? Not well. Yes and no, not not that mathematically, not that numerically, but in a way I wanted to contrast, you know, very art house, um, you know, experimental type filmmaking with just the classic masters, back to the classic stuff. And I feel like, you know, something something to do with God and, you know, spirituality, that could fit really well with a, a classic stylist like Jacques Turner, and, mm. and I think it did. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've only seen a few Turner films. I've seen like... The three big ones. I've seen mm -hmm. uh, Out of the Past, Cat People, and I Walk with a Zombie. Uh, I like all of them. In fact, I love them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not as huge of an Out of the Past fan as some people, but I feel like, you know, I'll probably go back to it and love it because that was the first one. And I've loved each Turner film I've watched since then more than the last one. This being the first that I would go straight up five, getting ahead of myself, yeah. but it's a masterpiece. It's yeah. a, it's a, total masterpiece spoiler alert i'm going to give it five bullets not putting the sound effects in at the beginning of the review though because that's not how we do the fucking show jt how did you feel about this one um i loved it i watched it at uh, a point last year i think where there was on tcm they were doing a lot of uh joel mccray western star vehicles and he is the fucking man and in this like his performance i mean i want to address this right away it's just he's playing like a person who's like the best dude and like that's a hard fucking role to fulfill is just someone who is like like insanely likable but his charm like makes so much of this like work as effectively as it does it's a phenomenal performance and this time like around i loved it even more yeah you know watching this kind of it, it kind of connected the through line uh, I've noticed with Turner, and maybe, I don't know, maybe something he doesn't get enough credit for, but I, the way this movie's structured, especially the first half, we kind of just have Joel McRae uh, wandering around the town, uh, you know, uh, helping uh, resolve moral issues and stuff like that. And, I mean, if you look at something like uh, Canyon Passage or Berlin Express that, you know, kind of tackles uh, post-war Europe, you know, a lot of the same kind of... 
uh, almost investigative, like what are the morals of the time? How are people um, reacting, especially to a post-war environment? Because I know Canyon Passage does that too. And, you know, with Stars in Our Crown, we're looking at, at more of like a post-Civil War, yeah. uh, you know, in, you know, people, you know, races trying to integrate type era. It's, yeah, this post-Civil War town of Walesburg kind of, like, reconstructing through the grace of God, basically, yeah. uh, as it's transmitted through Joel McRae as, like, the greatest pastor of all time. <laughs> and it's just really incredible. It's this, like, elegiac Western about, you know, the new pastor in town carrying the weight of the, the new sheriff in town. It's the same weight because they need God instead of bullets at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a really incredible film in that regard. Uh, other plots running through it, the local legend also, Uncle Famous. He is a, you know, recently f uh, freed black man who is now threatened by the, like, business and development arm of the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, also, typhoid breaks out at the school. And so all of these things start to swell up just as Joel McRae had helped bring this town, you know, forward into a more, I guess, uh, Christian light uh, <laughs> before these, you know, terrible things pop up toward the back half of the film. I just wanted to do a little side note. Uncle Famous, amazing name. And there's also like early on he drops chloroform wigan yeah as another a character great name. it's so fucking good so many good names in yeah. this movie and also i guess the one subplot you didn't mention that i think kind of pairs well with what joel mccray's character has to realize is the the, the son of the the son of the doctor who is also a doctor himself who is kind of received by the community in a cold way because he's not exactly receptive to this kind of small town uh, you know, uh, not soft, but warm attitude. He doesn't quite have that. And the way he kind of develops that uh, over time, I think is, you know, it's just a, it's, it's very sweet, but it's also done in like a smart way. Like, you know, it's, this movie is like, uh, you know, it is like, it is God's grace saving people, but it is like, it, it does, um, you know, go out of its way to, you know, put the charisma filled Joel McRae character in his place too, mm -hmm. towards the back half. And it is, you know, I, I, it's not a, it's, it's, you know, it's not trad, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's not, it's not about, you know, we need to return to like <laughs> this, this stuff. It's just a simple story of a God's grace saving a town. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously the, uh, the progression is made there when Joel McRae realizes that he needs to, you know, stay inside and let the doctor do his work, you yeah. know, which is so funny to watch now, of course. Uh, don't even need to talk about, you know, schools getting shut down and people getting infected and breaking quarantine and getting people mad at them uh, as this film presents. Uh, we should say also, uh, it's, it's this guy, Juano Hernandez, who plays Uncle Famous. And I've only seen him in this and Kiss Me Deadly. Uh, and he doesn't seem to have all that many uh, titles. Like most of his titles are in these like B movies that aren't that popular, but definitely someone I'd want to see in more movies. Very interesting presence. Oh yeah, definitely. That's one thing that I was like surprised about with like this, uh, taking this the second time around. It's like, it's like an 89 minute movie, but you pack like so much characters and like the town feels so expansive you get so much there in that span of time that it like populates this very beautiful and organic world and like while i had like a problem with like the tone of uh the like the book of life 
this one I feel like just nails it. It's like similarly like trying to do something like outwardly like poetic and lyrical, especially with a narration. And it just works perfectly because it's like just the way uh, the narration of an older John taking you into the perspective of like, oh, it's the memory of the town and the specific time and place. It's like, I don't know. It's such a poetic, beautiful, sincere movie. No, yeah, and I think, you know, what I was talking about before with it kind of promoting Christianity, I mean, I think, you know, that I should have made this leap earlier. It's also promoting community more so than anything yeah. it, because it's it goes out of its way because there's this character, I think, Jeb or Jed or whatever, that is friends with uh, Joel McRae, Pastor Joel McRae. And, mm-hmm. you know, it makes a point to where he's, he's saying, I'm not coming to church. You know, I don't personally believe in God. But he's still doing, you know, the quote-unquote Christian thing by... Uh, you know, helping Uncle Famous out when, uh, you know, his farmers ravaged by the businessmen. Yeah. So it is, it presents a lot of, you know, um, you know, moral arguments that it doesn't go too deep into, but it just shows, uh, you know, a community, uh, you know, centered around this pastor and just the benefits of, you know, uh, being more communal than, you know, being individualistic. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like, it doesn't feel everly like outwardly explicitly christian just yeah. promoting a general sense of like kindness to one another and community and that's something that i feel like i don't know anyone can tap into yeah i mean he's introduced uh coming off a train and like he wins over this town by drawing his guns on them which is hilarious because it's the only time you really see guns other than his friend and his large sons carrying <laughs> rifles toward the end but uh so the pastor draws his guns in the bar and we get this shot from behind and you just see the guns off to the side of him kind of the poster shows Joel McRae guns ablazing. <laughs> we never see that like front yeah. facing angle, which is hilarious uh, just because this is such a reserved film. And as I said, yeah, it's like the, the new uh, what's it called? The new pastor in town replacing like that, you know, line of the, the new sheriff in town and how this film goes about, you know, reconstructing this town, really. There's also a whip fight that's insane. <laughs> he has to break up this no, dude no, just, like, whipping enough. another dude, uh, making an outline out of chloroform. Hey, Brad, what's the guy's name? Chloroform Wigan. Chloroform Wiggin uh, is up against the wall, and the guy is just, like, whipping him from a distance and, like, outlining him up against the wall, kind of, until Joel McRae comes in to stop and even whips him a little bit and gets him to fall into the, uh, some mud in a puddle. And uh, I don't know. I was hooting and hollering. It was a, it was a damn old good time, that whip I mean, fight. That's community building right there. The, the graceful way Joel McRae comes in, it is, I mean, it's just, just for the whip play alone, you know, him whipping up against the wall, just already entertaining stuff. But then mm. how McRae resolves that, right? He, you know, gives gives the, the whipper a little taste of his own medicine, not overly so, and you know, at the end, the whipper is kind of laughing at what's happened, and even Chloroform, who's you know, he's relieved to have some of that humiliation taken from him. Everybody wins, you know, in this in this Joel McRae town. Yeah, I feel like that's something where it's like this in terms of like being about community and like religion and sort of like uh like atonement for your sins. Like there is that level there where it's not like taking glee in the punishment of sin like i feel like sometimes you can get when you're going like hardcore christian mode but it's just that you need to do that to like uh i don't know spiritually right yourself and Mm. it's beautiful the way the movie sort of deals with 
um, like those come to Christ moments, especially I think like something in the end where it's all the clan members sort of leaving like that, like, I don't know, that's a really hard scene to be able to pull off like a redemptive moment. Yeah. But he does it so elegantly and like not in a showy way. Mm. No, this, this it is like a lot of this movie does have like a really uh, light touch to it, like visually. But when he decides to go dark and kind of go for these noirish kind of scenes, like first I'm thinking of when like they're not in KKK outfits yet, but like the business people who eventually become KKK members, like we see him initially tear up his farm and it's it's so dark. It must be, I don't know, like late at night, early in the morning. I'm not sure. But just like kind of how we see this through this these darkness, just like all the dirt and dust piling up and uh, just like the darkness of the horses and kind of how like a lot of the men are just kind of like black figures, too. It's just like he, he knows when to turn it on and off. And, it you know, that's, you know, something I think is also underrated because he's someone who might be known a little bit more for his noirs, but he could just be. Um, you know, he could go the other way too, as he does in this one. And speaking of going the other way, the way he shoots uh, the children talking to each other in this is incredible. And, you know, most people like to say that they hate child actors and I get why. And frankly, classic Hollywood has a lot of just (laughs) the worst child actors ever. Uh, I really enjoyed this film being from a child's perspective and, uh, the the moment where the two boys are on the back of the the hay and the ca- the you know camera is looking down on them just like laying in that soft bed of hay being pulled away. Hey, if you was God, what'd be the first thing you'd do? Heap of things. No, I mean the first. I don't know what you'd do. Well, first off, I'd make it so it was summer all the time. No Christmas. Just incredible. Like, I didn't think you could kind of have those conversations within the confines of a classic Hollywood, like, kind of B Western like this. No, yeah. And it is like that scene, and it's like whether you like the kids acting or not, it's just so money to where you could plug anyone in there. And it's just absolutely great laid back scene of, you know, these two kids laying on like a hay truck, and we just see them discuss things as the trees, you know, kind of shatter them here and there, and they go in and out of the, the, shadows and the sunlight as they have this conversation it is like uh, a beautiful digression kind to kind of like the moral questioning of what everything is going on we just get this pure innocent moment i love the uh the guy who comes into town uh i think from texas who is like doing a magic show and <laughs> selling stuff too uh and just doing the sleight of hand and the kid is like starting to come down with typhoid uh which is kind of the dramatic turn of the the film but he looks like he's just so fucking scared of the dude pulling coins out of his ear and stuff <laughs> like that it's very funny to me and just the way that that dude is all dressed up for the big performance is fucking hilarious <laughs> i love his outfit yeah no that is hey you got to think back in the day as a kid that's got to be the scariest shit in the world you, know <laughs> you don't mean? know magic. about magic yeah. yeah and you're just living with this preacher who's like acting as your uncle kind of because your parents <laughs> died uh so all you know is the word of god you know yeah and this guy who's just singing this hymn stars in my crown over and over again <laughs> Which, 
beautiful song. I, I mm-hmm. love the use of the the, t- the title track throughout this movie. You know, you promised me time and time and again that as long as I played the organ for the services, I could choose the hymns. So I have. Yes, and promise is all you do. Never mind what I want to sing or what anybody else in Walesburg wants to sing. Oh, no, week in, week out, it's that old stars in my crown. I like stars in my crown. Oh, I know you do, Mr. Gray. I assure you it's common knowledge. The title hymn, sorry. <laughs> uh, so eventually, uh, as typhoid begins to spread, the doctor uh, begins to be upset with Joel McRae's pastor character who's going around town and still helping people because, you know, they need it now more than more than ever. But, of course, they just need doctors more than ever. Uh, and uh, eventually the school teacher who that doctor had begun an affair with uh, also becomes very sick with typhoid. And perhaps the most moving scene in the entire film comes uh, after... You know, uh, the pastor had taken orders and stayed home for a long time. He's then called to the the school teacher's house and the doctor's there and she seems like she's just about to die. And he's able to resurrect her just through prayer. And it's one of many shots where we see Joel McRae kneeling and praying over a bed where someone is either dead or dying. Uh, and all of these are composed so perfectly with McRae's huge frame still towering over the other person while on his knees. Uh, but this one in particular, he goes so dark. And there's even one shot where she's basically coming back to life where McRae is just completely in the dark. Uh, like his, the light of his face is the only part of the frame that's not completely black. Uh, and then it leads to the doctor coming back in uh, to see that. But the thing is, the very next scene is the clan coming to Uncle Famous's house. Yeah. And it's just one of the most heartbreaking transitions uh, from one scene to the next that I can think of in cinema. No, yeah, because it is like the way you could almost end the movie there. You know what I mean? And it that feels satisfying. But of course, the KKK scene that follows it is amazing. But you kind of you have McRae kind of reckoning that, yes, he is the man of this community, but like he needs to stop, you know, spreading typhoid. So he kind of <laughs> takes a slice of humble pie from the doctor. And but, you know, the doctor who is, you know, with this community, you know, experiences their pain and, you know, sees people die, but also, you know, saves some people too. Yeah, helps McRae's like surrogate son. In a, yeah. very, in a scene that plays like very similarly where it's like the two of them figuring out like the utility of like both science and religion yeah. in the community. It, mm-hmm. it is. It's a very like a uh, utopian outlook of like uh, science and like uh, religion merging together, knowing their places and, you know, coexisting. It is, I mean, it's, it's very touching. Um, I wanted to say on those two scenes next to each other, uh, Neil Bahadur on Letterboxd, you know, in his review of this, he says that, you know, perhaps Turner showed us that nightmares can come true because miracles can come true as well. And it's kind of a back and forth between those because, as we said, then the clan confronts him and the pastor goes and he just like riffs out this will uh, for uh, Uncle Famous, uh, you know, telling them that he had written it before and just describing how vital uh, to the community Uncle Famous was or is still and how, you know, good he had been to all these people in the clan, you know, who hate him and want him dead uh, for reasons of racial purity. And it's just disgusting. And to see that, 
the word of God basically is the only way to turn them around is also quite frightening. Yeah. You know, it's not like the most reassuring ending. I could see people criticizing this like, oh, really? He made Nazis go away with yeah. God. Yeah. Well, first of all, Nazis hadn't been invented yet. But yeah. uh, but like, yeah, sometimes like that, it, it's a miracle to mm-hmm. make someone disavow like how steeped into traditions of hate they are, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think like a lot of the film is like really heavily weighing with that like redemptive quality. In uh, there's one scene where it's um, Joe McRae's wife, uh, the aunt, is talking to uh, the boy John about like their relationship, and she's saying that uh, talking about a conversation with her mother, where she's like, "Every man has something wrong with him," and it's sort of that. I mean, while McRae like he does have something of a reckoning with it, he sort of stands out from that. But mm. it's just that everyone is like. I mean, it's hard to say when it's like hate crime issues, like to empathize with people, but like, I don't know, it's handling that in a very mature way. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it is, it is, I mean, the way it results, that is maybe the most Christian part about it, right? That like the desire to see people who have sinned so gratefully, you know, uh, turn to God. That is like a thing that's very fetishized in like Christian texts, the turn to God moment, you know, so... And the evil is also coming from like like industry and True, capital yeah. as mm, well. Absolutely. Yeah. So after that, uh, after that, you know, miracle to nightmare to miracle sequence, um, the typhoid was then located in the water at the school, uh, and the the crisis was averted. They didn't even need a fucking vaccine. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's what we should just stop drinking the water. God's will. <laughs> There wasn't they, there wasn't a will there that you read. It was God's will. <laughs> That's how we stopped this. That's true. That is true. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Between all the PC stuff, Kaveh said last episode, of this I, I don't talking, want people to get the wrong idea. Talking about how hey, you have to return to Jesus no, yeah. to I, cure I, I, COVID. We've now we've we've we've, we've done enough. We've yeah. explained. Yeah, ourselves. we've done enough explaining yeah. on this show. We can just have fun now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, there's one last church service at the end and his old friend who would never come to church finally does. You know, we see his rough and tumble tall boys stumble in <laughs> first. Uh, and then he finally comes in as well. And that final church service where we just see a couple shots of one person singing one, you know, looking at the window and all these great different perspectives, but it's even hard to just soak in those individual images because like the collective feeling is so strong and it's such a moving ending returning to that shot that the opening credits are over uh, from outside of the church. And uh, yeah, this is just one of the best films I've seen in a long time. I'm, I'm going five bullets on it and I'm, I'm passing the gun to one of you. Well, you know, I'm going to use that gun and I'm going to use it to you know maybe expose people to christian ideas maybe even people <laughs> who are listening to the podcast who are averse to them no i'm not actually i'm not a, i'm not actually i guess religious but it i get i was raised religious so i just have a bunch of knowledge about it mm. so might as well use it right but um no yeah this is an amazing movie i think i gave it four bullets on letterbox but i'm gonna up it here i'm gonna go four and a half and it's just i don't know there's so much to enjoy about this movie, you know, the way it's structured, the way it looks, of course, because Turner's movies always look good. There's always such a precision to his images. But yeah, there's just uh, some difficult messages that Turner ekes out that uh, 
I don't know. Like I don't see a lot of other filmmakers tackling in the way he does at his, at the time. So he's really firing on all levels here. But JT, what what do you think? Um, I'm giving this one five bullets. Uh, yeah, I think that like I mean earlier I said I would say it's more it feels more about community than it does like particularly the Christian faith. Yeah. But I relate my enjoyment of this and like faith based entertainment to like how I really can like gospel country music yeah there's like a sincerity and passion there and like earnestness in like concern for other people that comes across in like this type of christianity shown on film Mm. and it's like so much of the dialogue is like just this beautifully like sincere type of reflection and it's such a lovely place and time and i think a lot of i mean like the shots are very well composed and I think it like makes it apparent, but it's not like confronting you with it too much. It's uh gentle in its beauty. And uh, I really love this picture. Nice. Well, Jacques Turner will go to your grave one day and we'll say a prayer for you. Yeah. The real JT is all I like to call <laughs> Uh, as always, you can reach out to us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. This week, we have one from our old friend Felix Dembinski. He says, Hi, Extended Clip gang. I wanted to know if there are any types of films that, whatever the quality, are ones you'd probably enjoy. Pretty much every horror film made in the 30s is enjoyable to me, and whatever quality it is, I see it in that era starts to fade during the 40s, by which time... Things return to bad films just seeming bad to me. Something about the general atmosphere, irrespective of director, writer, studio, etc., of the 30s makes most of these at least slightly enjoyable, even just as spaces to hang out in for an hour. Italian horror and thrillers is another one for me. Letterboxd says I've seen 65 horror films from that decade. Are there any subgenres or milieus of films that you will enjoy pretty much anything regardless of quality? Um, I think I know off the top of my dome two ones. I mean, I mentioned earlier with Luc Besson and The Fifth Element, I like sci-fi. I mean, say for like, I feel like 70s sci-fi can be really hit or miss because mm-hmm. a lot of it can like be bogged down in like kind of slow and like stilted in the camera work, like looks bad. Um but in general, like anything that's operating on that mode, uh, like space futuristic stuff, I, I'm in because you at least get like a cool set most of the time. Mm. Um, I guess also in that realm, I'm going to say like 70s, like paranoid political thrillers. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I really like Pinchon is one of my favorite authors. And I love that like moment, like after Watergate where there's this like chain of movies that are insanely paranoid and against the government and like i don't know anything that has like a big conspiratorial web i'm like really open to because i just like that type of story i think like a lot of like lower budget 70s to 80s horror movies Mm. have a pretty high hit rate for me just because there's something about that sheen and kind of like uh you know things looking rough to me that i feel i'll just pair well with you know the genre of horror and so like even if there are some of them aren't my favorite i'm always enjoying you know aspects of them and mm. kind of a, a more i don't know i don't i guess there's not a phrase for this but kind of like load like star vehicles that like lie completely on the shoulders of that actor i uh, i don't you know 
I always find them very interesting. They're always an interesting watch. And of course, the two that are coming to mind are Tom Cruise's Cocktail and uh, Bradley Cooper's Burnt, both working in the the food and drink industry there. But uh, so maybe it's just chef movies I like. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I don't know. Something there's something about the Star Vehicle that's so you know they don't usually make them anymore. Mm. Too is also maybe why I'm kind of interested in that type of movie. Yeah, maybe it's because of when I grew up, but studio comedies of like the mid to late 90s to the early 2000s hit home for me. I think I was going through the Fairley Brothers was like an express train through the best parts of that whole milieu. But I like most of those movies, even the bad ones. Like when I watched, uh, what's the one where he makes the girl come by blowing on like the feather? 40 Days and 40 Nights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a terrible movie. But frankly, I still had fun. Like, I just couldn't in good consciousness give it <laughs> above like a two or whatever. But it's fun enough, you know. Uh, in, in that sense, even, that bleeds into the rom-com thing. And frankly, a lot of rom-coms from both the early 2000s, which I suffered through as a child and now have some strange nostalgia for, and the ones of like the 30s, the actual good ones, uh, have a very high hit rate for me. The 2000s ones usually capping at like a three or a three and a half, of course, uh, other than the auteurist picks. But uh, there are so many like, for the 30s, really, just so many niches of film that you could just give me and I'll like probably. Oh, yeah, pre-code. Uh, yeah, pre-code. yeah, pre-code stuff for sure. Uh, 30s horror. I haven't seen all that much, but I've pretty much liked everything I've seen. For 40s, once you get into noir, of course, but even later, like 50s, B-noir, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Any, any like, sub-90-minute noir, there's no way I'm giving it a negative star review. It's just not going to happen, probably. Also, Pinkus. We talked about it last <laughs> yeah. week. It's like, pick a fucking title. Most of the time, the floor is going to be, like, pretty high, honestly. No, it, it is interesting, because there's a few that I could say, but I just hesitate to, because... Like something like uh, classic classical westerns, kind of like forties, fifties westerns. Yeah. I've seen I don't know ten to twenty, maybe a little bit more than that, and I've pretty much enjoyed all of them. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's you know, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just choosing the good shit, the auteurist picks. Like you've seen more than ten classic Hollywood westerns. Well, that's why I said to twenty. Okay, to you know, I'm just I'm just giving myself. I don't I don't know how many I've seen. So just in case it's actually like eight. I'm just giving myself room. Uh, uh, just someone, anyone tries to heat pull check. Up yeah, 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 yeah. Paperwork. Exactly. Paperwork check. Wes Watson warned me about that. Uh. <laughs> That's, I guess, kind of branching off into the non-film. I, I do enjoy uh, motivational and hustle pages. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've talked about Mel's soul on the on the pod quite a few Mel's times. Mel's sh- so, yeah. soul should just be a sponsor at this point. You need to reach absolutely. out to them. No, we can't. If we just got to cough up like 30 bucks or something like that. Or maybe like I don't know, make an extended clip Instagram page. We need to speak uh, his language, but I just want to shout out somehow. Maybe we, maybe we like uh, promo a fake book we have coming out about like <laughs> success and hustling. Yeah, in the success industry. film mindset, <laughs> film, film mindset, winner mindset, <laughs> Tom Cruise mindset. That's our way in. I don't know. Uh, anything else? Nah, man. Uh, Eddie, do you have any picks? For the podcast for next week. Oh, duh. Um, you know, look, you you talked about burnt and like chef movies. We we've all worked in the the food industry. You know, you've been delivering food for quite some time. I've done that quite a bit. JT and I have also both done quite a bit of uh, restaurant jobs that suck ass. So 
we're going to talk about some of that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about Wheels on Meals, the Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan film where they run like a mobile food stand, I guess, of some sort. Uh, And we're also going to be talking about the recently departed Joan Micklin Silver's film Loverboy. This oh. is a comedy that does not seem to have very many views, which is why I'm going to put it as the B movie. But it's basically just like a pizza delivery boy who fucks a bunch of milfs. Hell yeah! Like that's yeah. what it seems. I'm sold. Like. That's what it seems like. <laughs> so I really hope it is that. Uh, so yeah, we'll see you next week with that. There's no right now here. This ain't a will. Yes, it is, son. It's the will of God. <laughs>